Dan Hagen. You are listening to Music City Revival podcast episode number six with Tom Vrem. Tom is a producer, an artist, songwriter, cookbook author. He's out of Nashville, Tennessee. He's worked with ZZ Top, Tiffany, a future man from Bela Fleck, Chris Stapleton, uh, and Tom is recently TikTok famous, uh, and he works out of Blackbird Studios in his home studio, Vinyl Archaeology. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Dan. Sweet. Uh, what you been up to today? Uh, today's been a pretty chill day, just kind of catching up on things after the long weekend. Oh, good. Yeah, well, you're always doing fun things. Did you have a fun Memorial Day weekend? Actually, I hung out with you one of those yeah, nights, Yeah, the only right? night that I yeah. didn't work, you hung out with yeah. me. Yeah. Sweet. I ended up doing sound, um, live sound, Friday night and Sunday night. And Sunday night was a uh, was basically Ted Nugent's old band from the 70s, minus Ted Nugent. Wow. Yeah, the musicianship was amazing. What, what's the name of the band? Oh gosh, I can't remember. Okay. Derek, okay. Derek St. Holmes, I want to say, is what what they okay. go what they go by. But it's the old bass player, the old singer, uh, and the original drummer. So they're all from Detroit. Right? Uh, I, I believe they... so. I mean, now they all kind of live around here. I know that uh, yeah. the drummer said he had about a three-hour drive to Paris, Tennessee. Yeah. So back in the day, they're from Michigan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. So, uh, Tom, how long have you been in Nashville now, and 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 when uh, you know what made you move here? Uh, I've been here seven years. January will be eight years. Um, it was basically Blackbird and the Mike Collection. I had a friend of mine. That's Blackbird Studios. Yeah, right? Blackbird Studios. Uh, I had a friend of mine that moved down uh, to start to teach at the Blackbird Audio uh, Academy. And he teaches in the studio side. And he was having such a great time. He was like, hey, you know, come on down. You need to check this place out. And as soon as I got the tour and I saw the mic locker uh, and the amps and all the guitar toys. Spe- and- speaking of, of mics, uh, right, you, you're the guy, I think, who uh, introduced me. Or maybe you didn't introduce me but we talk a lot about the Telefunken 251, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, is, is that your favorite mic? Uh, it's definitely one of. Okay. I mean, I, I use it mainly more for female vocals. Uh, it does work out great on some guys. Uh, well, I guess I won't even mention. There's, there's a couple people that's they're fairly renowned yeah. uh, for their vocal tone, and that's, that's one of the tricks. Uh, I love them. I love them on acoustic guitars, too. Uh, but... You know, Blackbird has a couple of them lying around, so I, you, if you know, especially if it's a female vocal, I try to get it on the track for sure. Yeah, uh, it's become my favorite mic, and I work with so many female singers, and so it's become the go-to mic, and and I've used it for some projects with you. Oh yeah, uh, a lot of good times. And so, how about that amp room at Blackbird? Uh, that thing's pretty sick, isn't that? You know, uh, when it, it was. We did a project there, and I remember, you know, you went back and pulled out a Marshall. What was that Marshall? Uh, that was a JTM 45. Uh, what year was that? Uh, off the top of my head, I want to say a 67. Uh, it was an early one. Uh, that one was used on a few infamous projects. I know it was used on the Kings of Leon, you know, Sex on Fire. It was really? one of the amps for that. Uh, I fell in love with it. Just it, it's still my favorite Marshall to this day. It it goes in and out of repair a lot, uh, but man, it's when it works and when she's happy, it is a golden golden Marshall. And what year is that? Sixty seven. Sixty seven. Yeah, that's that's like the best sounding Marshall I've heard too. And you've got a killer Marshall here too that uh, we fired yeah. up recently. What is that Marshall? Uh, that's a seventy two hundred watt Plexi. Yeah, that I mean that absolutely sounds Yeah, she screams. Amazing. She screams. And I have a had a a good buddy on my of mine uh, tracking here a couple weeks ago and he's a, a a slide player and he usually brings his 50 watt Marshall which is also a 72, might be a 73. Um his is a 50 watt though, but he, you know, he's very picky about using it and I don't blame him because it's a huge part of his tone and he he jumped onto mine for a bit and loved it. Uh, 
and you know made the comment of how you know it, it is a rare i mean there's so many great marshals but they're just the ones that stick out of the pack those are the ones you just kind of hang out they have to be the studio, the studio. and then the, the cabinet what what is that cabinet that we used for that project that i worked with you that 412 uh, cabinet what's the deal with that that's a 1979 um it was basically was made for the blizzard of oz tours really yeah so it had uh it was made to randy road specs there was only a few of them made they're known as the black marshals just because they have the the black marshall logo yeah. rather than the white marshall logo yeah. which is what they use on everything uh and that's an, it's another it's a killer killer four by twelve man that's amazing because he was my first guitar god randy Rhodes. Oh, yeah. i mean i i came home from school i was like i don't know 11 years old and or 12 years old and i found out he you know was dead and it was you know he, that happened some years before and i was you know i'd cry but i, I he was the guy for me more than anybody so that's oh, really yeah. special i didn't even know that uh, part about that yeah randy was a huge part of my guitar development as, as well uh i think i I had my teacher, I think I was six and a half, almost seven, and she asked me if I'd heard of Van Halen. Yeah. Uh, and I still remember her putting the record, you know, aging myself, but pl- putting the vinyl on the itsy bitsy record player that was in this little room of where I was giving, uh, getting guitar lessons at, and Eruption. And once I heard Eruption, like that's pretty much, that was a genius for any guitar teacher to play that for a student. Because oh, yeah. that was hook, line, and singer. Oh, yeah. You're in. Yeah, I was in. Uh, and then I, you know, I, I did the whole Eddie curve for a while. I uh, still love Eddie. Uh, and then uh, but Randy was my next easy. Yeah. And then he, you know, with with Randy, I got deeper into uh, more of the, the classical thought. Uh, and more of the modal thought, which we don't we don't have to go down this road yeah. uh, as far as theory. But that's from my guitar playing standpoint. You know, when I started thinking modally, was entirely because of Randy. Yeah, and he's the exact uh, reason why I got into playing classical guitar. I used to play that that tune D, D for my yeah, mom yeah. that he wrote for his mom, right? And I still like to play that from oh, yeah, time to time. Amazing, and, amazing tune. And it's you know it's Baroque. It's it's you know is he you know he was studying Bach, and as a matter of fact, he was going to leave Ozzy. He wanted to go to university and study classical guitar, you know. And uh, he was young, and he was like, well, I've already been a rock star, but he was all about the music he was oh, yeah. the, the musicians musician the consummate musician yeah, and his mom owned a music store mm-hmm. right yeah. yeah in la and you know she i i can't remember if, if his mother is still with us or, or if she passed recently um but um you know over the years i've i've watched her continue to do amazing things you know in, in education oh yeah uh, in his honor which mm-hmm. is amazing it and, is amazing and so many great guitar players uh michael angelo batio friend of mine uh has been doing a bunch of randy's uh tributes that have been amazing and uh and he was another guy that i grew up kind of idolizing so it's cool to see all these people keeping the randy road spirit alive you know oh definitely um Sweet. So, uh, you know, what have you been doing in this this whole interesting last 14 months, uh, you know, that we've been in this pandemic? What kind of stuff have you been up uh, well, to? Well, it's one of those, you know, I had some gigs in uh, Gatlinburg of March of 2020. And uh, to start my march off, I, I got jumped March 1st. You know, that's right. And I then, remember uh, that. Wow. And we, don't, we don't have to go into the detail of that, but that was not something I obviously I wanted to have happen. Yeah. Uh, I ended up being okay in the situation, but it was a scary moment. Uh, and then March third was the tornado wow, in East right. Nashville. Wow. Uh, and then uh, about ten days later, I started my run. It was going to be four show or four days of shows in Gatlinburg, and three sets a day. Pretty good paying gigs, you know, for what they were kind of thing, and. Uh, I always like going to the Smokies, so it's just one of my favorite times. I played there almost every month for a year before that. Wow. Uh, we get there, we play our first set, uh, and then they come up and say, hey, we're, we're done. Here's the check for the one set. And we're like, hey, we had another, you know, five sets to play in the next two days. And then, you know, we had two days after that in another place. Uh and all of them were canceled in just a blink of an eye. And then we usually get our, our free hotel rooms from those shows, and they 
didn't have a hotel room. So I'm like, so I drove, you know, four and a half hours here to play one set, get, you know, a sixth of the money that I thought I was going to get. Uh, and then I realized that in that same time period, I was figuring that out that I had lost every other gig I had booked in the recording world had just, it was gone in, in an instant. Um, so yeah, I, all the studios were closed, right? Yeah, you couldn't go into Blackbird. You couldn't go into any of the corporate studios. Yeah. Yeah. All the commercial studios in town in Nashville were closed. Most of the private ones were too. Everyone that we were working with was basically independent musicians or smaller labels. And, um, everyone was scared to do anything so i lost everything for that month but i had people canceling stuff we had booked for june july and august even in march they were they were canceling for the summer everybody was canceling christmas you know i mean all all at once everything was was being canceled but and uh, i had just uh i had only been about six months into my new house yeah which is where i built the studio Went into a little bit more debt to, so I could add some of the studio stuff. Had a great two or three months at the beginning of 2020, and then boom, it was just yeah. it was just gone. The rug was pulled out. I basically the way I describe it to people is I had to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. I had to figure out a whole nother plan for the year and beyond, basically. Uh, and I'm I'm actually I, I call it almost a stroke of luck uh, because I, I think it put me on a better path. Honestly, you know, kind of even the playing field in this city. A lot, uh, and I was able to delve into what's soon to be my EP release, uh, where I sat down with Zach once we lost all the the gigs we had booked, and I was like, "Well, you know, we got all the studio gear and time now. Let's let's record." And I remember I, I sat down and I played Pigs, uh, you know, the Pink Floyd classic on vinyl for him, and I'm like, "This is kind of the thought. Like, I want it to be strongly acoustic." Uh, but I wanted to get some of my favorite players and some of my good buddies involved with who, it. Who were some of those people? Um, I got Josh Hunt playing drums, yeah. uh, who's literally one of my favorite drummers Pla- on the planet. Plays with uh, Jack Pearson, plays with Guthrie Trap, plays with you know, plays with a lot of guys in yeah. the He's in toured the jazz with Allison Krauss, Fields, the Pop Field, all all yeah. different kinds of styles. He's an amazing drummer. Yeah, he really I, he, is. he's one of the most musical drummers. Uh, that's one of my favorite things about him. Now I, I use him on a lot of the producing stuff I do too, just because he he fits so many nooks and crannies. Uh, he's just one of my favorites. So as as soon as we knew we were going to record, I knew I was going to use Josh. Like he was yeah. kind of my my go-to. And then I went with uh, my old bla- bass player that I've played with for 27 years, uh, named Bill Demkoff. He's also a Grammy-nominated engineer, uh, and we played in a Pink Floyd tribute band for seven years together, as well as an original band for 15 years. So I knew that if I wanted to do something with a Floyd heavy feel, that he was going to be my guy for that. I knew Josh would cover the bill. Uh, and then Zach Seabolt uh, and I started working at Vinyl Archaeology with coming up with the, you know, I played him pigs first and i showed him two or three of the tunes i had and then we started building uh what we called kind of like you know mini songs in between the songs because we wanted there to be this kind of floyd uh effect of vinyl where the songs would all kind of run together so, like like a uh you know a theme record right yeah, or a concept exactly. record more of a theme a little bit of a concept yeah uh, and it ended up being a big concept yeah and a huge theme yeah uh but that's what so we kind of interweaved all the songs with all these mini songs in between. Uh, so they're all going to be connected together in a little bit under 30 minutes, the, the whole thing. Uh, it'll be six tunes and five mini tunes, basically. Wow. Uh, but I'm, we're really excited to get it on vinyl, which should be here by November or December. Uh, and we're going to do the first release of the first three parts of it uh, on June 28th of this year. Sweet. Which is a Monday. Yeah. We're shooting for a Monday. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been doing some projects here with some people, and it's been a great place to, to do. Uh, we did Dear Future with Corey Ann. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we Corey's rec- doing backing vocals. Yeah. This, oh, yeah. cool. That's right. She came in and did that yep. recently. And she's singing on my single that I recorded here recently, Rise. 
and yeah, Corey rocks. Oh yeah, um, she's amazing. Yeah, so you're building a network here of people and like teams, and you've got like I've got my. Uh, you know, Music City Revival label and podcast. You've got your own label, and mm -hmm. we, we work together. You do your thing, uh, and you know, and it's pretty cool. And the the other thing that uh, you've been touring, traveling, booking yourself out in the West and being proactive when so many other people were living, you know, under their beds in fear. You got on the phone, hustled, used your contacts, stayed with family, uh, connections. You yep. had, went to Alaska, a bunch of places. Tell us a little bit about all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and basically, I just went to places that were still open. Yeah. You know, so that was the first uh First part of it was figuring out where I could still go and play, where I did have contacts of sorts or family. Uh, ended up going, leaving from Nashville and doing a tour up to North Dakota and back. So it was basically through the Midwest. And I lived in Illinois for a long time, so we had uh, a couple shows in Illinois. But Illinois was really shut down at the time. Hardcore um, shutdown. Yeah. yeah. So that was a uh, very private shows. Uh, one of them was at a lake. One of them was at a biker party, uh, and they were both with at old friends places, you know, so it was, a, I knew exactly what I was getting into. Yeah. Uh, Bill Dotson, who was playing the shows with me did not, uh, but I did, I knew what I was getting into. And, uh, we had, we still had a, we had a great time, even though, uh, we, I also brought Tiffany there, uh, to play at a good friend of mine's, uh, pond. And, uh, we had to end up following all these rules. Um, it was a five acre pond. So it was a little bit debilitating to follow the, the, the guidelines while we were outside, uh, the entire time. But we, you know, we did. And, uh, so we did cause we'd already pre-sold some tickets. So we ended up doing shows for 25 people multiple times. Cause we only could have 25 people on five acres. That was the uh, champagne rules at yeah. the time. Uh, but we did it and Tiffany rocked through it and we did multiple shows uh, and the weather was great and turnout was still great under the circumstances. And uh, then the next night we played um, at the original Illinois State Capitol site uh, in Illinois and we played outside and there was about 700, 800 people, but it was all very social distanced where everyone was definitely six to 12 feet apart in their small groups. Uh, and we didn't quite have enough PA to cover it. So it was interesting that we had this 360 degree of speakers playing out. Nobody would get that close to us. We're literally playing in the middle of the street in front of this old Capitol. Uh, it was a, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool vibe. People were very hungry for music. So it was, I saw photos of that and I can picture all of that in my head. Like, you know, looking at those photos, it, it, it was really cool. You know, like this whole family community vibe yeah it was the energy was you could tell the people were they we weren't the only live thing they'd had a live music every saturday night for about a month and a half before that so uh we were doing it all within the the rules of the community uh and it was very supported by the community you know they uh the insurance company that paid for all the performers all the times so, you know was based on the square right there too uh so it was a community driven project in general but it was it was quite the treat for them to get tiffany uh in that type of environment and then it was all acoustic and she played a bunch of stuff off of shadows her new album that's out now so that was before it was released and and, and for the you know there's many people in the world who know tiffany from i think we're alone now right the the yeah. single when when she was how old was was she i think she recorded that when she was 14 but wow. when she was kind of having the hits she was 16 or so uh, and she was, was like competing with Michael Jackson on the charts. Yeah, at she that actually time knocked period, Michael right? Jackson down the charts a bit for wow. with Bad. Wow, believe it or not, it's crazy. So she's got a new, new single. I remember talking to you about you know you you uh, she was staying here for a time period and uh, you started working with her and and you gave her the idea because she kind of looks at her career like okay I have this many listeners I generally make you know this much revenue. How, wh where are new creative ways where I can direct you know that money to invest wisely? And one of the things you introduced to her was putting her single out on vinyl, right? Yes, yep. And we 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 brainstormed. We've brainstormed on a bazillion things. Uh, 
she's uh she's very creative and she comes up with things so fast you know mm-hmm. there's just a plethora of ideas that yeah, kind of come out at once uh, and we were discussing kind of the state of music as far as you know music sales at this point when i was having the conversation with her were down about 40 times of what they were 15 months before that wow. uh so when people and i don't think that the average joe understands when they sign up to these streaming services that they literally are taking money out of musicians pockets there's not really any two ways about that uh and that the middleman who becomes at streaming services who makes that subscription money uh the artist is making very much pennies 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 per the listens uh, Spotify and the labels are making all the the money, yeah. and uh, you know, and th- there's a just a little side rail that I think is really important to point out, and, and not many musicians uh, realizes. But you know, we can as much as I can't stand how Spotify and Apple and some of these these companies take advantage of musicians. It's very important to know how that happens and how that's facilitated, and that is through the federal government. In the case of uh, Spotify, some of these lawsuits with BMI um, to get more royalties. You know, it turns out the woman at the Justice Department ruling over it was, you know, a former Google attorney, kind of that revolving door between big tech, and they negotiate the rates. Mm-hmm. our rates on our behalf and give us a horrible deal that allows these you know big tech companies to take advantage of us and so I, that's just a quick little shine the light on musicians to look at that and realize the big bed of government that sleeps in the same big with big mega companies that there's a codependent relationship and Entirely, the more you know yeah. and the more that we know that and shine light on that maybe we yeah, can do your, something your best about that. bet is to buy it straight from the band the musician yeah. you know from yeah. their website uh, that's always going more in the musician's pocket than uh, any of the middleman games yeah uh, and it's like i said you know it was, music was selling 40 times less than what it was wow. and then lots of the streaming services spotify in particular went up 19 percent yeah you know in 2020 so and, you know and it's one of those it's just it is what it is, yeah. you know, and I, and I don't I don't use that line. Uh, yeah, you loosely, can't really you know? as much as I can say, hey, I don't like that the, the government's doing this and Spotify's doing it. The the reality is, it's good to know about it, shine light on it, but it's also good yep. to go. Well, maybe I don't want to be in that system, and and, and and that's why I recommended vinyl to Tiffany yeah, because okay. with her Spotify, you know, she she was getting decent numbers what would most people would be calling successes but the profit margin at the end of it is not what you would call success whereas when you put money into a vinyl you can make five to ten times depending how much you're spilling into it uh of a profit versus a a negative (laughs) big big difference and there's very few things that are selling music right now that you can make a profit of because people don't buy music so when they buy a vinyl the musician's actually making a nice profit compared to when they buy it online at all. The musician's not making a profit. You know, Vince Gill had a line where he's like, you know, you can buy a, a, a fart sound for as much as you can buy my latest single. True, yeah. Uh, and that's 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 where we're at. And yeah. the thing is, and that when he's talking about the single, that's how much the singles were sold when he first started. Sure. We're still at that price point. Not not even talking about inflation, the value yeah. of the eroding value of the dollar and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so what you know what you're talking about altogether is this relationship, you know, directly with your fans, and you take out the middleman, you you direct them to your website. If you think about it, Spotify, Apple, they have all their corporate sponsors, and and that's how they make their money. Yep. Well, you know, the cool thing about when you bring people to your website where your merchandise is, you can have sponsors with companies that you agree with and that you like, and you help out, and you're helping other people out. Um, And and then people, you know, actually download your song or buy buy your vinyl there. I think that's the future. Right. I mean, the Mm -hmm. the the old industry is like I like to say it's uh, it's some old white men arranging chairs on the Titanic. It's like get your cushion. um, But, you know, we're going to get wet. and It's going to be really cold. 
Uh, and it's like, well, do you want to be on that ship as it's going down? Or yeah. do you want to kind of take a life raft and build something that can be fruitful and, you know, something that, uh, you know, a lifestyle it's, that it's, you like? The, right? the musicians that I know, I mean, last year I know, you know, many that moved. Oh, yeah. You know, there was a plethora of tons of musicians that were making their money and were making decent livings that literally had dried up so fast that once you had three months four months into it with paying rent prices the way they are in Nashville with no job. Like you, you had to bail a lot. A lot of them had to go. Some of them have been able to return of sorts here in the very recent, but a lot of them won't be able to. Yeah, no, it's, uh, we uh, lost so many. We lost musicians. a ton and a, lo- a lot of good ones. A, a lot of one thing that I noticed is a lot of the younger ones say in their twenties, thirties, you know, they, they went back home to live with mom and dad. They had no other choice because, you know, maybe they did music for fun. Maybe that, they made yeah, some money on Broadway. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, their night job, you know, as a bartender or waitress or, you know, something like that or or driving Lyft during the day got slow and and they they had to go to a safe haven. And And there wasn't uh, an egg that they could pull out of to make it pay for four months or six months or a year of rent with nothing to do. Um, So, like, you know, with that, like I said, I had to reinvent the wheel. You know, I had to figure out that's why I – it became that instead of recording and producing being a, a way to make money that I was back to the old craft of writing songs and getting on the road and just playing parties that I could play. Uh, and luckily those parties paid off. You know, I did a lot of the guitar foodie stuff, which is my cookbook, you know, based stuff with yeah, that. Tell, tell us about that. And even your venture with Tiffany in the whole cookbook world. Yep. We're working on a cookbook now that'll be called It's a Guitar Foodie uh, Breakfast with Tiffany, all puns intended. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it's uh, it's it's pretty creative. You know, she is a uh, a different style of chef than I. She's okay. an amazing cook. What is she like? What is um, her style? Well, she does a very much more Middle Eastern, Mediterranean. Really? Um, she introduced me to spices that I had not even heard of that i still can't even say <laughs> like really? i can't i can't like say the word right yeah um and she uses them the way she uses them together in combos is, is amazing and i would kind of show her you know the way she describes my cooking is more of a farmhouse cooking okay yeah uh, you're from the midwest yeah right? you're from illinois yeah makes sense and uh born in minnesota you know lived in illinois a bunch but what, what got me into the culinary world is creole a lot of the, the emeralds in the 90s what got me cooking in my first few trips to New Orleans. So a lot of my cooking still kind of stems from a Creole uh, Cajun standpoint. But then I put a lot of northern spins on it with some Norwegian tricks. with And, like and you also and, like some Viking salt, yeah, right? Yeah. That's your new thing is Viking salt. And sometimes you'll on the road. We were, we were on the road in a, a tour in uh, Florida, which I think we should talk about that fun experience. Oh, yeah. But you took the Viking salt with you yeah. and and it travels uh, with me, you know, and it's amazing. It really is amazing, you yeah. know, what it does to you know basically everything. Um, it's got a nice. It's I like it on any kind of vegetable. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a, it's one of my secrets with that. If you barely steam, you know, even like green beans or peas or cauliflower, and then you just sprinkle that on top right before you eat it. I'm there. I'm happy. It's it's nice to have things like for me, um, you know, Himalayan salt is one of those things that I just like to cake it. I'm like, you know, it's good for me. It's healthy for me. I like to say, you know, I won't uh, consume any kind of salt that's less than 400 million years old. Yeah, you know? that's a good way to think. Yeah. It. I mean, I watch my intake, my salt intake, yeah. you know. A lot because I've had a stroke, so sure. that's something I keep track of with my blood pressure. Uh, and really, it's for me, it's any of the processed food is where I get into bad trouble. Oh yeah, the natural salts. If I'm not generous with it, uh, I'm I don't ever get a problem, you know. But it's once I if I have like one piece of like Pizza Hut or something like that, like I'm screwed, yeah. blood pressure wise. But if I make my own pizza, I'm set. Yeah. So you have this, um, you guys are doing a cookbook together, is that? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what's that going to be like? Is it going to be like one page? It's going to be like brunches, okay. you know, um, it's more of a brunch breakfast thought. Cause my last cookbook, uh, has no breakfast or brunch going on. Uh, I've written a couple other cookbooks too, but I'll just kind of release those periodically basically. And Tiffany's the next one on the, on the gamut. Uh, but it's, 
It's a little bit. We we have twelve different international recipes. So international breakfasts, like we have an English one, a Norwegian one, um, and we each of us kind of took one of those over and rolled with it off of our own experiences, basically of breakfast. Uh, but it's those all get like a big one page picture and then a one page of almost like a whole meal around it. So it's not just one thing. It'd be like a whole English breakfast. So it kind of discusses. And, the, and it's the recipe. So yep. you're, people are going to learn how to make these. Yep, things. exactly. And so it, are you guys going to merge your styles or is it going to be here's Tom's recipe on this nope, page? we're and merging. The next you're merging. Yeah, you're that's putting the way it all together. Uh, we cook together anyway. It's like okay. she'll, you know, we, we kind of talk about what we're going to do. And then we both have our our drills of what we do while we're while we're cooking and then it all comes together like what's an example of something we could see in there and learn how to make um one of the things that we did a lot when she was staying here in quarantine is we did these little hashes so you know like a typical hash you'd have like a potato and you might mix it with a meat and maybe some onions and some celery and then flavor it with some different spices kind of thing but you want to get the crisp kind of hash brown hash mixed with it and then i like doing like an over easy egg on top of that like that's that's my version of an old school hash it could be like a corned beef hash i like doing a good brisket hash like a prime brisket that i've smoked for 18 hours and then you know leftovers i mix with it um but her take on that that's all vegan meat just kidding yeah just yeah joking. that's not I vegan mean, Dan. Yeah, no, just <laughs> uh but her take on it was like hey let me use some artichoke and cauliflower so it was more of a low carb thing but it was more of a middle eastern twist kind of instead of the potatoes mm-hmm. and then she would cook down a little bit of bacon uh and red peppers and onions and garlic and parsley and put it in there and then she would she also had like a lot of different radishes that she would like to use and different pickled radishes different variations of pickling them and onions uh and then mixing those all together and these different hashes that become like super colorful. Uh, and then we'd do the, the different eggs and we got, we got so hardcore with the eggs that we really wanted to figure out. It breaks down into like, there's all the French techniques of cooking eggs, mm-hmm. which we don't have enough time to get into. Yeah. Uh, and then what we think of is like the short or order cook version, which is like the over easy, over medium, over hard scrambled, you know, the way you'd order at a diner or a mom and pop kind of place. Uh, but we give definitions of that in the cookbook of each one, you know, a detailed definition of of how that egg is. You know, you know, I just had this thought of why I think that's going to be so valuable in a time where we look at the economy. So many people still don't have jobs. We're dealing with inflation all over the place. The, the honest truth is that. People have less expendable income to go out and and have dinner, the, the finer dinner, that that level of cuisine. And so if, if they can have some new thing that interests them, they find out and go, wow, we can make – hey, honey, we can make these incredible meals that are like better than yeah. we're going to get. That's the thing this, with hashes know? is they're basically leftovers with an egg on top. Wow. You know? I mean that's that's the way I look yeah. at them. Like, so it's a simple concept that oh, yeah. people can get in the habit of making. Yep. There's a couple more complicated things we have going on in it. But in general, like it's very, very simple five-ingredient you know, recipes. Which is, I, I think that's the, for anyone, even like good cooks, when they see a, a recipe with a, a short, res, you know, ingredient list and just a couple steps, and they're like, wow, that's only going to take a second, and that'll be yummy. That's a win-win. You oh, know? yeah. And then you don't have to go out to eat and eat some processed crap. <laughs> and and that's, you know, it's, it's not only there's the concept of, hey, you know, getting, you know, real uh, fruits and veggies that you're putting one, into it, or even, even like it's local. It's you know, when they see a um, with a you know, short that that whole you know, uh, you know part of it wow, is important. Second, be, uh, that's but um, oh yeah, and, and then you do don't have to go out to eat quick and eat edit some there. Crap. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's what you know. Uh, it's not only what were we talking about, Ray? The concept of hey, getting you know real the fruits and veggies that you're putting into it, or even it's local. It's you know somehow um, I got into the you know oh, the, that yeah, that whole like you know fresh uh, you know part of it is important. Um, but you know, uh, and I think people are becoming do. more health conscious. Hopefully, they'll, they'll become there. more uh, Forget I mean, that's the what, world uh, I'd like to live in. What, what were we just talking about, right? Right before that. Conscious of that. 
Uh, food, money. the cookbook. The, the cookbook and and one of the other cookbooks that I've been working. Somehow on. I got into the oh the yeah having like fresh you know produce and all that stuff, oh, yeah. um you know and I think people are becoming more health conscious. Hopefully that they'll become more health conscious. I mean that's the world I'd like to live in. You know if people get more conscious of that, they're going to save money and they're going they're going to be healthier. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's the one of the other cookbooks that I've been working on is uh, a musician's guide, you know, where it's like a a tour musician's cookbook. So the way you can eat on the road without it being McDonald's or you know Dunkin' Donuts the whole time. That's a really important yeah. thing because because I really wish the hot plate and like a uh, a crock pot. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of good options you have where you can like set it and forget it. You just do it the night. Before you wake up, and you can have all kinds of different things, you know. Yeah. And then you can, you know, even coleslaws. I, I had a one session I had to cook for uh, years ago, where it was a fairly picky eater, and I had to cook for them for 30 days straight, and I couldn't make the same thing twice. So I ended up learning how to make 30 different coleslaws. Wow. Because uh, they were they were vegan. Yeah. You know, and then of course the artist was vegan, and then the producer engineer was like a notorious carnivore. So like I had to cook an awesome meat and awesome vegan for like every. I was cooking yeah. two meals a day for him, so it was. That's amazing that you're versatile, you know, like that. But one of the things I was thinking about is just basic economics. When you're on tour, let's face it, the kind of bread you're making now is is not like pre-COVID. There's no, no. less money. Things are are tighter. So you know, it's it's hard. To afford to eat on the road, so saving that money is an important thing. You know that's yep. that's really helpful. And you know one of the concepts that I talk about right at the beginning of that book is you got to have a good cooler. Oh yeah, you know because if yeah. you're on the road, you know okay, you need refrigeration. That's yeah. your major source of good food is being able to have a refrigerator or a good cooler in your car, whatever you're traveling in. Uh, and once you do that, you cover that one area. You're eating healthier. Yeah. You know, like you're you're not stopping at fast foods for crap. You'll end up you'll spend less money on drinks and you'll buy better drinks and all your snacks will take many levels up just from that one thing of getting a good cooler. Yeah. No, it's important. And I remember uh, talking about that when uh, when I you know talk about our little Florida adventure. Uh, you had booked a, a tour in Florida, and uh, I remember uh, you know during the pandemic on my birthday, oh, yeah. April seventeenth, I did a live stream here with my band and all my you know friends and family could hear it. People donated. It was a great experience, and I think it was like around March of this year. You know, my birthday was coming up, and I started thinking about. Like, you know, I should plan something cool. What do I want to do? And I thought, you know, maybe I should, you know, have a, another live stream at Tom's place. Let me, you know, let me give Tom a shot. I think I texted you and yep. I said, you know, hey, uh, you know, could I do that? What do you think about doing that live stream? Me having, you know, a few people over, and uh, and you said, no, uh, I, unfortunately, I'll be in Florida. I can't do it. But what do you think about doing it? Yeah, why'd you come to Florida? Right? And immediately, I was thinking, yes, that is exactly what I needed you to hear. And I was thinking, so it ended up being you had a tour. Kind of already booked you you're able to kind of squeeze me in to go along with you and i had a per- perfect you know we did three shows down there you know saint augustine oh, yeah, i love that town uh flagler beach and orlando something mm-hmm. at uh you know with your family uh, and you know, uh, you know, big thing is that you know, like people need friends like Tom when it's your birthday, and you go, hey, I'm, I want to do something on your birthday. Florida? They take you on a, <laughs> uh, you know, on a tour slash vacation in Florida, and make for the best uh, birthday yeah, times, you know, week you can have. And so you know that whole concept of it you know there seems to be a whole florida chapter that's developing with you through your friend karen right Mm -hmm. and you and you met karen through tiffany which is like you've connected with tiffany and then all of a sudden now you have this whole florida connection And, and one amazing thing about florida it's the only place in the u.s where musicians and artists never stopped working and playing shows right no it was uh I mean, I, I went down there and played in February, and then that's when I booked the April stuff. Yeah. Uh, 
and then I was going to do some shows there this summer, but just with some other things that came up with my release, um, I'm going to wait till September, but I'll be back there in September and in November and in next February, you know, so it'll be not quite in every other month, but you know, I'll be dipping down. That's one of the bonuses of Nashville that a lot, I don't know if everyone thinks about these kind of things, but it is close when you do a big circle, a five hour circle, a 10 hour circle, you can hit a lot of places. Uh, and that's one of the secrets I think in, in the touring yeah, uh, this, part of the world, this, this city, I mean, yeah. from my understanding, part of the reason why Chad Atkins developed Nashville as his music hub here is because 200, you know, miles in any direction is the most populated part of the country. You have quick access to the East Coast, Southeast, South, Midwest, yep. head out West. And so it's a, it's a perfect hub. Like I've, one of the ways I've always thought about Nashville is it's a perfect place to write, you know, get your band together, record, and then tour, tour elsewhere, yep. right? And building a real, you know, fan base, and and that's, you know, cool thing that I see you doing is building all these networks. You're developing, you know, new people you meet, new contacts, and and all these regions. Somehow you're finding connections with family that you already know that are supportive, and you know, and you find ways people, you know, you find places to stay. All these things, yeah, matter, which adds up right? quick. I mean, tour-wise, that's one of your major expenses. You know, fuel is a huge expense now, uh, and a place to stay. Yeah, you know? and then food. Those yeah. are going to be your three expenses. You yeah, know? I mean, you know, it's 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 it's. It's very expensive to tour if you don't know these things to learn the hard way, but especially, you know, in a time where money's tight, you know, uh, you've you've got to find a way to cut corners and network. But but ultimately, we live in this world where, you know, you've got to build, you know, your fan base, this you know, this um, direct you know relationship with people, and some of these people you meet like. Uh, you know, they have their own things going. Like your friend Karen works with all these restaurants down there, right? Mm-hmm. And she's got a whole network that she's doing. And yeah, she has the foodie groupies. The foodie groupies. Yeah. Okay. And it's you know, it's a it's the whole northeastern coast of Florida, basically. Uh, and she just has every beachfront restaurant as part of it, uh, and a lot of the ones going into the interior as well. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm a foodie, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and so that was one of the things. As soon as I met Karen, that like we started talking food, and then we started talking about music, and she does a bunch of booking stuff, and then so it was just like a peas in a pod. You know, we we got along great. Uh, and then the the whole I ended up getting stranded there uh, because there was a bad storm in Nashville when I was down there in February, is when we were getting all the snow up here, uh, and I got stuck there an extra three or four days. So I went and helped her do her foodie groupie routes and helped her take pictures because that's oh, one really? of my fun hobbies is taking yeah. uh, food pics and uh she has this you know set weekly schedule because she does all the posting for their facebook and instagram for all these it's probably like 40 or 50 restaurants that she does all the social media for uh, so she literally has to eat out every day just to keep up with her food pics that she has to take and so i helped her with that and we had a blast and that was kind of one of our bonding moments uh, and then we just started talking shop on so many other things. And it's just neat when you meet someone in a whole other area, uh, in a whole other region, you know, part of the country, but you're still doing the same stuff, you know, and it's, it's good to get input from people that are doing the same things that you're trying to do, you know? Yeah. You're, you're building networks. Like you, you guys have your different networks, you know, apart, but then you start building them and you have all these strengths. Like if you look like Tiffany's like the Kevin Bacon in your life, right? That connects all these things. Uh, and all these things, like if you think about, you know, Karen's got this foodie thing. You all have this, you know, foodie thing and this connection. And, you know, it's cool how you're just kind of using the strengths and the passions of your life and just fueling it into your music career, which is supernatural. And it's a good life, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. I'm loving it. Every bit of it. Yeah. And so do you think you're going to be like, uh, you know, doing more touring in Florida, building more networks there? Oh, yeah. I'll be doing uh, touring in Florida. And I got my Alaska shows you know, that we're doing with Tiffany. Uh, July 22nd, we go up there for 10 days and 
do shows around Anchorage. And, Anchorage, sweet. Um, that's where we fly into. And then we're doing a bunch of uh, Guitar Foodie and Let's Food with Tiffany parties as well. Uh, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun time, you know. And I, we always have fun anyway, so it's just gonna be. I don't think she's been up to Alaska since she was like fourteen or fifteen. Really? You know, she, I'm surprised. She uh, she's very well traveled. I mean, yeah, she's that's been an interesting one because yeah. that's been one of my favorite places to travel to and do oh, music yeah. I love too. It. I've been lucky enough to go the last few years and every year, and uh, I'm probably going to be trying to do that every year because it's just, it's a great place. This is I've been there in April and in October, so this will be the first time I'm there actually in the summer. Yeah. And I the first time I went uh, was in April with Bobby Tumberland and Sam Williams, you know, two or three years ago. And, and Sam Williams, that's Hank Williams' son, Yeah, that's Hank right? Jr.'s youngest son. Okay, yeah. And uh, we had... Uh, just got done releasing some some singles and some stuff we'd recorded at blackbird and then we got these these dates up there and uh that's how i met kevin who's kind of my my alaska hookup so to oh speak. really okay and uh he uh he was actually the guy that ended up picking us up at the uh airport and he's one of the promoters that uh had booked the shows and then the the first night you know we got had they had taken us out to dinner and stuff and me and you know, Kevin drove me to the hotel. It's like nine thirty, ten, and he's like, "Hey, you going to sleep?" And I'm like, "Ah, probably not. I'm kind of a, a night owl." And he's like, "I, I ain't going to sleep either." He's like, uh, "You want to hit a couple bars?" And I'm like, "Yeah, let's go." So like right there, we were we were instant buddies. Yeah, and hung out and uh, talking shop. And Kevin's a great guy. He's a four time state champion Alaska football coach. Oh, really? Uh, so you know, you go anywhere, he knows everyone. Yeah. You know, as soon as you walk in, they're like, "What's up, coach?" Like all over the place. He's a real good guy to know. Uh, he's one of the, my favorite people I've met in the last few years. He's just all around real good dude. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, you know, this this everything's about relationships, right? I mean, oh, yeah. it's building these relationships. It's the old antage of who you know. Kind it, of. Thing, it really is. You know? And you know. It's one thing to say who you know. I know who this person is or this is a contact. It's another thing to come together like you're doing with all these people and you're building networks and go, hey, how can we, you know, uh, you know, do ultimately business together, yeah. you know, combine and help each other and help you know? each other yeah, lift everyone up. I, th- I think that's one of the big missing ingredients right now in, in music everywhere is the the community yeah. part of it, you know, because I look at the towns uh that I've been to in the last couple of years and I've played all over the country and you can tell really quick if the community, how in touch the music base is there. If there's a healthy mom and pop music store, that's something you always look for. Mm-hmm. If there's a bar that sells that, vinyl, preferably yeah, if there's a record sell, store in yeah. general, cause those are starting to be missing yeah. links to, even though there's more of a, a vinyl resurgence now, still hard to find uh, a good vinyl store. You know, they're yeah. not in every town. Like, like they a were. Grimey's we have in oh, yeah. Nashville. Yeah, Nashville's very blessed yeah. in the vinyl. We've got it made. And that's why people come here to look yeah. at their vinyl, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you, you go to, uh, cities 40 50 miles out of nashville and it's hard to find vinyl yeah you know so it's vinyl hub wise nashville is one but uh in general it's it's not easy to be found these days yeah um but you know chicago uh champagne still has some great vinyl stores uh in champagne illinois uh, i think it's one of those things that's going to catch on a little bit more and more just because it is like i said it is the tangible thing that the bands can sell and make a profit off of and i think just that one factor is going to make vinyl hang out longer and longer yeah. uh and it's also it's already proved its shelf life is so much longer than cds and cassette tapes you know i still have the first vinyls i ever bought when I was six That's amazing. and seven. Wow. I wish uh, I did. Where all my CDs from the eighties and nineties are pretty much decimated or dead or I have, a, I have a couple of them, but I mean, Lord, they're full of scratches, you know, I have tons of CDs and I just finally tossed this old like stereo that was just totally trashed. And it was one of those things that I didn't want to let go. I think I had it like 20 years and uh, and I finally, because I'm moving soon, I just you know took it out and just trashed it. I'm like, okay, I'm never going to use this. I'll I'm holding on to my CDs. Somehow, yeah. you know, I'll I'll buy some other kind of system. Uh, but yeah, but the, you know, the thing that you're doing and just a you know observation is you take your your average artist, which I've known a lot from Illinois that moved 
to Nashville. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, I, I, you know, play shows in Nashville and I go tour or whatever and, and lose touch with that hometown vibe and where yeah. you have, have nurtured that, you know, from Illinois, North Dakota, where your family is in Florida and c- develop th- those relationships and, and that connection, that family connection. So you can go to places in Illinois and, and do, you know, house concerts, you know, go to yep. a, you know, a town square and put together a show where 700 people come together. Um, and there's something really powerful about that going, you know, uh, I, and I can resonate with that because, you know, I'm from, you know, Chicago, Detroit, Southern California, Texas in here. And, you know, I'll go out to California, stay with my brother and play some shows out there and and go to Texas, you know, and and stay in contact with people there. And so I think that's a really important thing is just because oh, yeah. you move on been, to yeah, a that, scene doesn't mean that you can't stay connected. Yeah, you don't want to burn the bridges of the, the hometown, yeah. you know. And, and in this day when you're thinking, well, where am I going to tour? Am I going to go? You know, nobody's yeah, – how many people are going to all 50 states right now? So you, you find your networks and, you know, one of the things that – Well, and where it's alive, you know, because yeah. that's, that's what I'm telling a lot of my artists that I work with now. It's like – you know, it, 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 you got to reach out a little bit. You have to try your new spots. It's not that you don't try new things, but you're going to find the places that are your homes that you go and you see the same faces and they want you to come back. Yeah. You know, and that's not, I don't recommend monthly gigs, you know, in tourist traps. Sure. But in, uh, the places that allow you to play original music, maybe with a handful of covers, and they'll give you that two-hour, three-hour show uh, where you make good money, and you can come, you know, maybe three times a year, four times a year, and you you make, you know, let's say a thousand bucks for a three-piece band or something like that. Hold on to those jewels, you know, like don't don't mess those up, and then try to get some. You can work, you know, so maybe one night you have that gig, and then the next night you have your three fifty three-piece gig night, you know. Uh, take it. You know, because it's I mean, we know how Nashville is. How much is Nashville paying for anything now? Nothing. You know? I mean, most people, the average person, uh, you know, is, is making tips on lower Broadway or or they're playing singer songwriter shows and they're playing uh, not making any money. Right? Yeah. 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 Or they're waiting on tips, yeah, you know, w- which works when it works. And yeah. now that Nashville's back alive of sorts, you know, they're they're starting to come back. But there was a year of the very empty bucket. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh, and that's. You know, spilled over into the recording industry where it's like I, we have, uh, as you know, you're a client. We have mm-hmm. pretty good rates here, and it's still people still can barely afford it. Oh yeah, you know, like it's. Uh, well, you have to. I mean, one of the things that I, I can say for my single, I had to pace out. You know, the recording of it. Like you know, I, I recorded uh, the guitar. Uh, scratch guitar, you know, to click and scratch vocal at my place, send it to a drummer in L.A., um, you know, Adam Gust, and then Adam Nitty, who's a bass player that, you know, lives in Nashville. But different people, Michael Higgs, mm-hmm. Corey, all these different, you know, I had to do it in stages. Like, okay, I have a 100 bucks, you know, to pay this guy. And, and you know, it's, it's harder when you have less of a budget. But I think you find ways to work with people. And even, you know, when you have that. Yeah, our, our specialty is the bang for the buck factor. Yeah. You know, where most EPs that we do will have a day or two of pre-production here, a day or two at Blackbird, and then the rest of the overdubs here. Yeah. Uh, and that just saves a ton of money. Yes, and and so part of the 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 approach is that you're you're never sacrificing quality. You're using no. the best microphones, the, le- yep. the the best preamps. But hey, how many people nowadays, indie artists, can afford to do a whole project at Blackbird? Right? I mean, I don't even know how many people are are doing that at all. No, the the budget is not there. So I think that's one of the arts of you know being a producer is in making a great track is. Um, that you're, you're making sure that you're not cutting the corners that can't be cut. Like, you know, right. one corner that can't be cut is great drum sounds, right? And yeah. that's a, you know, that's why working remotely with my bu- buddy Adam Gus that I, in LA that I knew is this great drummer I knew has a great rig and getting that. That's one corner that you can't cut. So you got to find, you know, ways to do that. I know you have access to Blackbird and you can cut 
drums here. You you know, you're set up to yep. cut and uh I still you, prefer Blackbird for drums. That's, yes. It's tough not to love yeah. Blackbird for drums. Yes, one hundred percent. But you also have a new drum set coming in and uh with a uh drum company yeah, that Mother Future Tone. Man yep. works with. That's Mother Tone. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that company, that drum set and your your capabilities here it, for making records since you'll have that set up. Uh there's a, a a good buddy of ours, Michael Turner, who's presently in Australia, uh, but he he lived in Nashville for years when I first got here, uh, and we became buddies uh, the first time Future Man came to record with me at Blackbird in Studio A. Uh, Michael came along to help set up the set, and him and I and Bill Demkov, you know, we just immediately hit it off, uh, and then uh, you know we still. We still hit it off to this day. Just now, he's in Australia. Uh, I actually introduced him to his wife. So really? that's uh, we definitely get along. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, and and Kate's great too. Um, they're a perfect couple. It's a beautiful, beautiful marriage. Uh, but you know, Michael is a. Uh, I don't. You know, inventor is one of the first words that comes to mind. He he if he solves problems, finds ways around them, and has a, a new way of doing things. And uh, he's designed a few things with uh, Schleichman. Um, that he uses on his mother tone drums, uh, different tuning principles and the way he does the shells. Um, I won't go into his details, but yeah, uh, yeah. he's a connoisseur of drum tones. He also has one of the best guitar collections I've ever seen in my really? life. And he's a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sweet. hundreds of guitars, real cool guy. Wow. Um, and, uh, we get along like peas in a pod and we see a lot of the same visions as far as, uh, tone woods and, uh, that kind of thing. So he's he's going to be giving us a drum set to use, uh, not to keep, but to use for a while. Uh, and I, they're one of my favorite uh, drum sets to mic up. You know, so I'm pretty excited to get one in the studio here. So it'll just me and Zach will probably be playing way too much drums. It'll yeah. probably be like we won't even be tracking. We'll just be jamming yeah. out the whole time. Yeah, and you've also uh, been doing some, like, having some parties. you got this big backyard, and you've been having live music and kind of doing – and live streaming and, and doing some things like that here, uh, which is a is a great thing, you know, because you've got a really cool backyard, and the oh, yeah. weather's been the so nice lately. Uh, and, you know, it's cool that you've you know, got this whole network of people – and, you know, I think that says a lot about your personality. We were talking recently about just how much your personality has everything to do with how well you do in music and how you treat people is what comes around. And ultimately, you know, because yeah, everyone in Nashville is talented. Yes. You know, that's yeah. what I think what part of our conversation you know, was about. Yeah. Know? And it comes down to like, hey, do I want to hang out on a bus with this person? Do I want to hang out in the studio with this person? And one of the things about people's personality is, is do they want to be in the studio or on the bus with me? Yeah. And that has a lot to do. If that's you, one of the you know. first things that John McBride ever said to me uh, before I moved to Nashville, uh, the first time I met him in Blackbird, was he said, you, you know, you got to be a good hang. Yeah. And when he said that, it was kind of a, a riddle of sorts to me where I was just like, good hang. Like, hmm. But the longer I've been in Nashville here, the more I see the reality in what he was saying there, where it's just, there's a lot of talent here. Yeah. There's an endless talent pool in yeah. Nashville. But like you were just saying, you know, who you're stuck on the bus with, who you're stuck through might be a tough time for a second. You want that to be the right person. Yeah. You know, so that's where the good hang comes in. If someone's a good hang and you know they got your back on things, that's you're going to want to keep them around. And once you know the shoe fits and it works, then you roll with it. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. And that's the Nashville, I think, integrity, you know, and that's what a lot of people that are are kind of hunting for in Nashville might be missing is that factor. Yeah. And it's not something they can go out and buy or they can go out and magically get, you know, it's the, they're going to have to work on it themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of it's the people skills and it's tough, you know, like it's, there's so many things that you can pick to argue with somebody over that it's tough to make art with that situation, you mm-hmm. know? So I think that's one of the things you have to be personable to the point, especially with dealing with artists to where their vision comes across, you know, because that's such an area where you can just, 
I don't care how good your engineering skills are or how good of tools you have. If you don't get the artist's vision and you won't let them That's have it. That's such an important thing. And, and I can say kudos from like working with you and Zach is that like, you know, uh, w- one thing is like when I, though you're a producer, you guys produce on your own and you do different things, but you know, when I'm working with you and you know that I'm the producer, you know that you're not wearing that producer hat and you're just very accommodating. You you know that I kind of have a vision and you let me, you just let me do that. And I think that's an important thing. Oh yeah. You have to be know? able to, you have to know what hat you're wearing. Yeah. That's a, in this town becomes a very, uh, you know, I learned it at Blackbird, you mm-hmm. know, straight up because that was just, you know, there was a producer in the room, Yeah, you know, so you were an assistant engineer or engineer or an intern, you know, you had to, you had to know your place. Yeah. And I learned that, by being an intern, yeah. being an assistant, being an engineer. Uh, and that's kind of where I take a lot of my producing cues from is where I'll, you know, I want the best experience for the artist. I want them to see their vision, you know, and, it, and it's tough. That's hard to let that all happen and to have the right tools and to get the end product to be the way the vision was. You know, that's that's the magic is if you get that to happen. Yeah. A lot of people, I think just think that you know if they're in Nashville and they're recording that they automatically get that but it's it's pretty elusive yeah well you know i was just thinking about like you know how we met right and we were talking about this earlier like I, I think you said we you know we met on facebook but the reality is you know we we have similar interests as guitar players right so we're going to be in similar circles uh, but the reality is, as I was playing a gig with my, you know, jazz fusion trio yeah, at, at a pizza place. Oh, it was it? Yeah, it was it? Uh, yeah, there's the place next door, a pizza joint next yep. to, you know, connected to Twelfth and Porter, and uh, and you came out and uh, you know, and we met, and you were just so supportive and so cool. You made me feel cool. I was like, God, this guy's cool. He, he digs my music. I'm like. God, I want to hang out with that guy yeah. more, right? Well, that's what, I mean, that's like I, I was saying earlier, where the community is, that's what matters the most with, with everything, not just the musical side of things. And I mean, that's what, if if people get together in that respect and they start lifting each other up, there's so much talent in this town that it can be an endless lift up. Yeah. You know, there's, it's all here. And even for multi different genres, you know, Nashville gets painted country so often, uh, that people forget that there's a lot more music here. There's everything. It's you know, it's music city. There's jazz. There's funk. There's R and B. There's soul. There's yeah, some Latin of the funk music, and R and B that know? I've seen in the last year here, I would put next to anything yeah. I've seen in L A. or in Detroit or New York. One hundred percent. There's agree some with really that, strong yeah. funk and R and B here. Yeah, and so it's cool when you can build networks and you discover, hey, this bass player and this drummer that you know, either work together all all the time or you put new people together like. You know, it was such a cool experience on my single rise to bring a drummer, a powerhouse. Like, I needed a drummer that, you know, could play R&B, modern R&B, but also, you know, play rock. I I needed Steve Jordan. I said, you know, Adam, all I'm going to tell you is I need Steve Jordan meets John Bonham, but I want you to be... You know Adam Gus, but that's that's what the spectrum I needed, mm-hmm. and then bringing Adam Nitty together, and they'd never played together. Adam is one of the best bass players, fusion bass players in the world, and I've worked with him tons and remote tracks. I send it to him; he always gets a great sound. But you know the idea of them, you know, being together. One thing I knew is they're super pre- precise, fat pocket great tone but they also were powerful in their notes and placement you know everything's intentional and and in hearing that together so it's always fun when you team some new people together like you have a vision you get the vibe yeah yeah so tom uh your record what what when can we expect you know when are you thinking about releasing well the the first um three songs off of it which is basically one song with too many songs okay uh, that comes out june 28th june which 28th. is a, a new music monday um and then there'll be a, a release off of it about every month after that until the Sweet. vinyl comes out hopefully the vinyls will be wrapped up by november yeah but yeah i'm i'm, I'm su- i haven't released anything solo ever you know uh so it's you know at 45 that's kind of like what are you doing that for <laughs> yeah but uh it's uh 
it's a lot of dreams come true because I've always been kind of a Floyd fanatic. So being able to get Roger Waters' son, Harry Waters, to play piano on it. Uh, and Harry is so awesome to work with. Uh, and he you know, recorded his tracks remotely uh, on his grand piano uh, in L.A. And uh, that that's just been such a fun process. Like I said, we started off with that whole thing, like listening to Pigs. And then I found out I was playing some of those tracks to a buddy of mine, Caleb, who's a, a killer guitar player and a banjo player. And we were talking about, I was talking about how it has the Floyd influence. And even though there's other classic rocks, I won't mention that it gets compared to as well. Uh, and he was like, Hey, I, I know Harry waters. And uh, I was like, well, man, just maybe drop him a note and see if he's interested. And this is in the middle of the pandemic. And, uh, he said, yeah. And he sent me his info and then I, I, I text him and then he texts me right back and was like, well, send me a clip and I'll let you know. And then about a day later, he texts me back and was like, yeah, this is great. Let's, let's do it. You know? And I sent him, uh, the two songs that day and he sent me back, he recorded them over Christmas. Uh, so it was pretty cool that, uh, we got to do that whole interaction kind of during the holidays. And then everything he sent back to me just blew my mind. You know, his, the musicality that he has, he's a classically uh, trained pianist uh, and he plays with his dad, you know, Roger Waters when they're, when they're touring. Um, so if you've seen any of the wall uh, live stuff that's happened in the last seven or eight years, it's Harry playing piano with wow. him. Wow. Amazing. Uh, but he, his his musical sense is is unbelievable. I'm going to use him on as much stuff as I can. Wow. Definitely all the calm Vrem stuff, which is what I'll be releasing this stuff under. He's he's in like Flynn. Sweet. Uh, so any websites or any kind of places where people can contact you or check yeah, out my guitarfoodie.com. Guitarfoodie.com. Okay. Yep. And there's my cookbooks are up there and some stuff and there's a bunch of examples of. Uh, my producing and songwriting and the whole pile a lot of food pictures <laughs> sweet well uh man it's been a great time hanging out with you we hang out all the time but i i thank you for hanging out with oh, you us bet. and uh, this is dan hagan you've been listening to music city revival podcast episode six with tom Brem. you can uh hear more episodes at www.musiccityrevival.live